I'm John Muscat. And I'm Amy Halpern-Laff. Welcome to Ethical Schools. Our guest today is Jason Garcia. Jason is Assistant Vice President of Youth and Workforce Programs at Sobro, a multifaceted community development organization in the South Bronx. Jason designs and runs a range of out-of-school time programs for youth, including career exploration, leadership building, community service, and the arts. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for having me. Jason, our organization, Essex and Education Network, has been providing training to Sobro staff on social-emotional learning, SEL, and ethical decision-making. There's been a lot of discussion in the workshops about the impact of adverse childhood experiences, or the ACEs, on young people and their actions. In the absence of sufficient mental health professionals in the schools and community, how can staff members best be supportive of youth who are experiencing the effects of trauma? Just more so about listening to them, right? And, and being able to uh, so much, not so much understand a young person, but in a concept where being able to relate to them and, and, and letting them know that this is a part of life and that trauma is something that, you know, we all go through as humans and, and as we get older. But it also it really speaks to the social emotional learning where this is a part of our emotional growth, but being able to socialize about it and, and really address whatever issues and, and trauma that you have on hand and then identifying those issues and trauma of and coming up with a solution. That, that's something that we focus on at after-school programs because we deal with that on a day-to-day basis, especially working with our young people who are in our supportive housing facilities or are transitioning to supportive housing facilities or are just in, you know, who are adopted or in temporary housing. So that's, that's just a, a monster in itself that they have to, you know, just wake up and come to school not knowing either, or they're homeless, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from. Can you talk some more about that? I mean, what does that look like in practice? What are some examples of, of how, in fact, staff can help when kids are in, you know, tremendously stressful situations like that? So one great way is, is what we've designed is a, a safe haven for all students and the participants when they attend our programs and we build that trust with them and, and, and that level of pretty much confidentiality where they can speak to us. And like I said, we I reiterate that we, we build the safe haven so they can come and speak with us and let us know what they're going through so that we can turn key and assist with these types of resources that may need that the Department of Education cannot provide, whether it be um, a meal after school hours or clothing. Um, so it's just more so about the students and, and really reaching out to us and even the families, right? Letting us know what they're going through so that we can go on and identify resources we have internally here in the agency that can benefit them, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's through a food pantry or a clothing drive, or just being able to provide some sort of employment assistance for them to go on and and really better themselves and and better their, their life, so to speak. Jason, what about kids who have experienced ACEs or adverse childhood experiences? and who you see later on in middle school or high school, for example. I mean, these experiences have long-term impacts. How do you deal with that? It it goes back to just, like I said, listening to the young people and strategizing with them and identifying the resources we have internally. It's kind of hard to narrow it down where we say, 
we take this group of kids and we would place them in uh, crises intervention and we take this group of kids and we put we place them in LGBTQ awareness so it's really a case-by-case basis where each part each of our group leaders and each of our staff members will have a specific caseload where they do an assessment and we as as leaders do assessments as well not only on the students but um, of the families as, as well so we take more of a whole holistic approach and enough we target the family toll so that we can figure out or try to identify the root of the problem so we can go on and like I said identify those needs that the families are in need of whether it's uh, affordable housing whether it's a meals program clothing helping with employment helping with furthering education, whether it's through the high school equivalency or post-secondary education, right? So it's just a wide raft of, of resources that we try our absolute hardest to bring to the schools and, and bring to the families we service. One of the things that I was really struck by um, in some of the workshops that we've been doing with the staff is that the staff members seem very conscious in, in thinking about how they're supporting kids who've been through trauma. I was excited by the sense of people being very self-analytical of, okay, how does the way that I respond in a situation impact on the young person I'm working with? Which is sort of like, I mean, we talk in Dewey in terms about figuring out what's ethical by looking at the impact on other people. And what I was hearing was that staff members were saying, okay, so a kid is acting out in the group. And my first reaction might be to sort of snap at them, get in line or act right or whatever. But then by thinking about consciously putting themselves in the situation of thinking about, okay, what might have been going on in his or her day that's making them act like this, that that was shaping how they, as a staff person, were reacting. Have you seen this? I mean, I just saw this in the workshop situation, but have you seen this in practice? Have you seen have staff members talk to you about that? So that's some, it's funny that you bring that up because that's something I implemented back in about 2009 at all of our school-based after-school programs where it's not so much of how the child is acting at that moment. It, what is causing the child to behave in this manner? Because we don't wake up angry. Right. And, and even as adults, we deal with our own demons and we deal with our own issues. But again, it's most about understanding the child and finding out what is the core issue of this. And students feed off energy. Kids feed off energy. Adults feed off energy. Right. So if we approach a situation aggressively, we're just going to get that behavior and the, those emotions reciprocated back to us. So it's most about letting the child vent because clearly they are sending off a message, maybe a nonverbal message, just by acting in a certain manner to let us know, hey, I need help. So how do, you know, we, we figure out a way of how to identify that and we try to find the root of the problem because kids, when kids, if they're in the program, then because they want to be in the program. Our middle school and high school programs all are choice programs, so they're not obligated to attend. So if they act out in a program that tells us, well, one, you wanted to come to the program, but two, you want us to identify and you want us to you want us to recognize that you're going you're having a hard time and you want this one-on-one and, and you want us to figure out what the issue is or have a conversation with you to find out what the issue is so that we can help you find a solution. 
But so it's more so about, like I said, uh, just feeding off energy and just giving off that energy to the young people. So it's, it's, it's a cognitive approach that we try to take so that they understand like, well, you know, Mr. Jason is going to hear me out and Mr. Jason is, is going, he's going to be the first one to recognize that I'm having a hard day because I haven't eaten in two days. I haven't bathed in two days or because in ninth grade reading at a fourth grade reading level, or I have no one at home because I live with a, a second generation relative because my f- immediate family is overseas. And these are just all examples that I've dealt with and, and all we dealt with here in the agency in the school. So it, it's, it ranges and it's, it's traumatic and it, it's, it's sad, but you know, we, we can't approach it in, in a sad and, and what's the word I'm looking for <laughs> in a sorryful manner. It's just more so about in a positive and resourceful and say, Hey, we'll, you know, we'll get through this together. And I think that's what we do best here is we let the participants know that, you know, when you hear your home, and your family, and we'll, you know, we'll take care of you. Jason, not just kids, but many of your staff members have also experienced extensive trauma in their lives, and now may experience secondary trauma in their work. How do you support staff members in dealing with the effects of their own trauma and secondary trauma? So one of our great partners are uh, an agency called Ethics and Education, um, network, I'm not sure if you guys heard of them. You've done great work for us and really helping the staff. And so, and, and John, you and I spoke about this some time ago that some staff may not know that they're going through trauma or they may not realize that they're living a traumatic experience until they really take an out-of-body experience and say, wait a minute, this is not the norm for me, right? This is not, why am I accepting being abused or being verbally abused at home or you know, living in, in certain conditions. So when they come to work, we, we build a relationship here and we build, we build a culture here in the agency that the staff, you can, you know, they, they don't only look at us as an employer, but they look at us as a resource and, and as, as a wealth of knowledge and a stepping stool to life where, you know, they'll say, hey, can Sobro help me with affordable housing or can Sobro help me find a second job? at another program or at another in, in another department that would help me financially. And, you know, one thing leads to another. So just even getting a job at a different department, well, of course, you know, their income is, is increasing. They can afford the so-called affordable housing here that isn't so affordable, right? But again, it's about being a resource and being human at the end of the day. It's really about being human and understanding the staff we have in, in investment. We have a, I have a huge investment in the staff and we have a huge investment here in the staff and agency. So where it's, what are we give? What, what are we putting into the staff members and what are we giving out and how is it going to pay in the long run, whether they remain with us or we just mold these individuals to be better, to become better professionals in the near future and going, we're going to be leaders in their own agencies or where they go off and, and really, you know, take the things they learn here and, and enhance them and, and continue to develop their acquired skills and, you know, become better people, better parents, better citizens. Wow. That was. (laughs) Sorry if I went off. No, no, no. I, that was amazing. That was what I was going to say. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So ethics is about relationships. What are the relationships like among the young people in the programs? And do you see, changes in these relationships you know over time and how does the staff try to nurture 
these relationships, positive relationships? Um, the relationships are actually great at the programs, especially for our middle school programs, because we're, we're able to pair individuals up with classmates or schoolmates that they may not be in the same class during the day. So they get to meet new people and, and really learn from one another and really broaden their, their circle of network, right, if, if that makes sense. And not only by that, but just either whether it's through basketball, whether it's through art, through dance, through robotics, hydroponics, um, fashion, right? These are just a few programs that we have here to offer, but they, they attend these programs with other participants by choice because it's, it's we build the independence into the young people and decision-making. So they all share the commonality of, of wanting to be in sports or wanting to be in fashion and wanting to be in hydroponics. So off the back, they have something to talk about. And again, they, they get to, you know, they meet one another. So, and they build a relationship so that, so that in the school day, they can say, Hey, he goes, you know, Jason goes to Sobro and John goes to Sobro and Amy goes to Sobro. So, you know, we're talking in a lunchroom or we're, we're talking at breakfast or we're even talking in a corner store because we have those we have that in common and that relevant interest that we all have. And, you know, for all we know, we all take the same bus together or we live in the same neighborhood and we didn't know it until we all went to sober and we walked in the same direction. Um, but we, we, we encourage it and we support it holistically so that the students are learning from one another and even learning different cultures, right? We have students from, from France. We have students from Africa. We have students from the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Iran, students from Brazil, students from, I mean, the list goes, <laughs> this goes on and on, right? So, and there, and we, we also implement cultural awareness and, and culture day where students can bring it, you know, come in and just bring in a piece of, of their homeland, whether it's a recipe, whether it's a piece of art so they can present and talk about it. And, you know, that we tie that into relationship building and learning from one another. At ethical schools, we talk a lot about educating young people, not just to live ethical lives themselves, but also to help develop a more ethical society and ethical institutions. Do students in your programs engage in advocacy and activism for social change? Well, it's funny that you bring that up because this morning we were talking about our uh, homelessness, uh, homelessness awareness here at one of our programs at Archimedes Academy and, and Emolio Academy that every year students, they volunteer at a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter to um, provide meals to those individuals who are either in supportive housing or who just do cool coming for meals. So they do a lot of advocacy around um, homelessness, veteran awareness. And that's over our PS3 site that they really, uh, they do clothing drives or can drives for veterans or the school. I know we partner with the school where they do a, a dollar for a vet. So in order for a participant to come school in jeans, they have to pay a dollar. That's all proceeds go to a, a veteran's charity. So it's, it's just, it ranges from, you know, every year we, we do different awareness activities and projects where the students are learning about certain type of advocacy and, and content behind it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Is there any political or campaign involvement? Right now, not yet. Um, students are aware of the political battles that's going on. And surprisingly, this year, I think a lot more students are in tune with uh, the politics and the debates and, and who's Joe Biden and, and who's Adam Chang and, you know, who's 
Bernie Sanders, who's uh, Kamala Harris, right? So it's it's for to hear the young people say these names and really associate and correlate these individuals with their political beliefs and what they bring to the table. It's 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 impressive. It's impressive to hear a twelve year old to know who Joe Biden is, to to, to hear a fourteen year old talking about uh, Kamala Harris' belief, and to hear a twelve year old say he's going to vote for Bernie Sanders, knowing well a twelve year old can vote, right? But is that they're having these type of conversations, and then it's they're in tune with this. So I think that that's important. You know, whatever political belief we in, in or whatever red or blue party we want to side with, that's okay. But it's just more so about who do you feel is going to represent your country the best. So do you, I have a question about the follow-up on that. Because obviously, you know, as a nonprofit, you're nonpartisan and everything. But do you get a sense that those students who are eligible to vote are maybe more likely to vote than in the past? And students who aren't old enough to vote, but who are saying, I'm going to vote for this one or that one, that they are channeling that at all into a sense of, okay, I can talk to my parents or I can talk to friends or I can do whatever. I mean, do you see it moving in any kind of very concrete, practical ways of having an effect? Yes, be, uh, with our youth build and our um, our high school equivalency programs, you students are more in tune about what would it benefit them in, in the near future, whether it's through uh, public assistance or whether it's through a second, uh, post-secondary uh, education, HSC. So, you know, what just what's tied around that and what support that they'll receive in the near future. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's good to see them having those conversations and really talking, you know, the conversations surrounding those topics. It's, uh, like I said, it's impressive and, and it's, it's heartwarming to see our 12 and 13 year olds um, have conversations like this because you know that they're encouraging their parents to go in and vote for their political <laughs> interest and who they want them to vote for as a 12 year old, right? So when they say, oh, I'm going to vote for such and such, that's just them saying, I'm going to encourage my parent, I'm going to encourage my mom or my dad or my uncle or my caregiver to vote for this particular person. Right. So many of your students are defining their sexuality or questioning their sexual identities. How does the program support them in this process when it's needed? Like, for example, if, say, families aren't supportive or whatever. First and foremost, we we support our students, again, by listening to them and just encouraging them to make the right decision. And again, they make a sound decision on, on how they choose to live their life. And we respect it wholeheartedly, but more so, you know, so that they understand that, you know, this, this is a part of their life and a decision that they made. One thing that we deal with commonly is um, parents that are not properly informed or, or not well-versed with, with, with the decision that the young person made. So they, they'll be comfortable coming out to us and saying, you know, I'm, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. However, when I go home, I have to carry on a certain way because my parents don't accept it. So we, we find ourselves in um, trying to educate parents on healthy relationships and, and understanding that, you know, your child is your child, no matter what he or she chooses to be in life. And just the young person is going to be the young person. They're living their life. They can't live the life that you want them to live, right? And this is a decision that they made. And just more so about the young people understanding that it's it's a learning curve, not only for them, but for their parents and really getting through it. So all the times so we become a therapist, we become a social worker, <laughs> 
right? We become a guidance counselor. We just have to wear different hats so that we're doing as much as we can, right, from from this side of, of the house, if that makes sense. A lot of times we're told that some black and brown young people who focus on academic success get peer pressure, that they are, quote unquote, acting white. Is this an issue? And if so, how do you support these students? So one thing, I, I, and it's funny that you mentioned that because it's, what does that mean, acting white? How do you act the color or an ethnicity, right? So what I tell the kids is the moment you say that, you are putting yourself you're already going against the grain and you're putting yourself at a lower benchmark because you feel just because you are a certain color or a certain ethnicity or culture that you are automatically educated. That's not always the case. You know, so just by you saying I'm acting white, well, why do you feel like acting white means you're acting educated? Why can't you just say is you're just acting overly educated, right? So it's just teaching the students that, there's no reason why you can't speak like that, or there's no reason why you shouldn't carry yourself in an educated manner so that you're not looked upon as a stereotype or you're not looked upon as just the poor ghetto black or brown child. And just really, it's an uphill battle for our young kids in the black and brown communities. But, you know, we've been blessed that we have individuals um, like ourselves to encourage and, and, and really guide the young people, our young people, our black and brown young people in the right direction and provide as much guidance as we can. And kids feel because they're from a certain neighborhood, they have to carry that out. Um, speaking for myself, I was born in the South Bronx where, you know, being educated and having a career really, it goes against the grain. It goes against what we were supposed to do because we were from a certain neighborhood and understanding that, well, you know, I'm from this neighborhood, so I have to stay in this neighborhood. No, I, you know, I want to better myself. And that's what I try to instill into young people that just because you're born here doesn't mean your entire life is these four walls or the concrete jungle, what they call the projects, right? You, you can better yourself and you could go on to college and really meet other people of different ethnicities and different cultures. I encourage all our high school students to go on and go to different colleges, different states, so you can meet other people and, and you can see what Louisiana's like. You can see what St. Louis is like. You can see what Florida's like. You can see what Washington is like. Um, if you want to go to Idaho, to go to Idaho, right? You don't have to stay locked into New York City or stay locked into just the four corners of the neighborhood you grew up in because it's just a thing to do. So it's just more so educating the young people about it's not acting white, it's being educated and being properly informed that there's nothing wrong with that. You should be proud that, you know, you have a vocabulary that's more than 20 words, right? So it's, I mean, it's uphill battle and it goes against the grain because I'm, I'm from that neighborhood. I'm from that era. And just growing up poor, it was we had no choice but to go to school with, you know, my mom worked two jobs. She worked at a, at a cow door department store, man, when it was many, you know, many, many years ago. And she worked at a bus depot as well over in Hunts Point, you know, so we just, we had a fend for ourselves and, and, you know, school was the way out because that's, that's where everything happened in school. That's what we learned. That's what we played. That's what we ate. Um, and that's where we made our mistakes. So speaking of, of success after graduation, whether academic or workforce or whatever, what are some of the ways that you are able to support students after they graduate from your program? 
I think we do a great job with that in terms of having an, an, like a, an alumni network where students come back and they either work with us in some youth or they come and volunteer with us or they just come back and visit just to say, hey, Mr. Jason, I'm in Delhi University or, or I'm in Syracuse University. I'm moving to Florida because I got a four-year scholarship. So it's just about staying in tune with them and providing at least whether it's employment, an internship or volunteer opportunity for them. I have one young person, um, Olodari, that he's been with kind of, I've been his mentor since he was in the third grade. And um, he's over in college in Vermont. He plays basketball and he comes every year. He comes around around this time around april he's he'll be coming here soon same as jason i need a job oh mr jason can i get twenty dollars but he'll come every day to volunteer he will help out he'll to do free tutoring with the kids he'll do basketball training and if i have an inter a paid internship you know he'll be more than happy to take it and if i don't he still comes back you know so the, the love is there and the connection is there because we've built that bond and again like i mentioned earlier we have a safe haven for them so they know when they come back here it's like coming back home so it's just about outreach and, and retention and making sure we stay in tune and in touch with the young people. One thing also is important is good continuity and, and just the retention we have here of staff that when they come back, they see the same staff, whether the staff is a group leader three years ago, now they're an assistant director because we've invested in our staff members and they come and say, oh, wow, you know, you're a program director now and you used to be on my basketball coach. Because when I started in Sobro 15 years ago, and, and a great friend of mine, Ava Lopez, she she kind of brought me over 2005, if I'm not mistaken, or 2004. She brought me over as a basketball coach because she needed someone to coach basketball. And 15 years later, I'm the sister vice president of youth and workforce programs. So speaking of being the assistant vice president, when we were talking earlier today, you were just talking a little bit about what your day's been like today. And so I just have to ask you, because we're, we're in the middle of the coronavirus, how, how do you deal with this? How are you dealing with it? What are some of the concrete things that you're able to do in terms, for example, of mm-hmm. continuing the service to the kids who are you know, in the homeless program or the other kids? What kinds of things are you trying to figure out at this point? I'm really figuring out how do we support our families in need? How do we support our employees? And really... How do we continue to offer and the great services we've been offering from a limited standpoint? It's more so about strategic planning and really making the right decision. And, and it's hard to not answer a question or be that sense of comfort and, and, and heartwarming to our individuals when we don't know what's happening. And, and it's kind of sometimes, we, you know, we're left in the dark and people usually come to us for answers. And when we don't have those answers, it's heartbreaking not to be able to see a smile on someone's face when they walk away or that sense of relief and, and, and trust that they know that everything is going to be okay because Sobro's got my back, right? So we just continue to just, you know, move like that and, and carry in that manner and, and really support not only us, our, our clients and the people we serve, but our employees. Um, so that's something we de- we're dealing with now when, you know, we're still in decision-making stages and trying to figure out what are the next steps moving forward um, and what's best for us, the agency, the community and employees and the clients and the city overall. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't talked about? No, no, not really. I mean, I think this was great. You guys are just a great partner to us and we've done great work together and I, I just... You guys are amazing. Again, thank you so much. 
um, for the trainings that you guys provided to us. Because earlier today, at Sonia and some of those staff members were saying, wow, you know, this is some of the stuff that John was talking about and that really ethics and education came in. We didn't know when we were going to need it. And, you know, we need it. Now is when we in- implement that training and, and execute the social emotional crisis and trauma that the students are going through. This is how we address those needs. So it just... God works in mysterious ways that I had that conversation this morning and we're having this podcast now. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jason Garcia of SoPro. No problem. You guys have a great night. And thank you listeners for joining us. Check out our website for more episodes and articles. We've begun to post annotated transcripts of our interviews. We offer professional development on social emotional learning with a focus on ethics in the New York City area. Contact us at hosts at ethicalschools.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ethical Schools. Our editor and social media manager is Amanda Denti. Until next week.